Men sit in the snow of the Himalayas and do not care to wear any garment. What is heat? What is cold? Let things come and let things go. What is that to me? I am not the body. Swami Vivekananda. Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank you all for joining me this week. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I hope you enjoy. If you're a you know long-time listener or you know recent listener, thank you for joining us again. Ah, so this week we will be talking about um, people living on the Tibetan Plateau. We'll be leaving South Asia uh, behind for now. Uh, and uh, this episode might be a little bit shorter this week. Um, it was Mother's Day, and I went home to see my mom, and I'm back, and I'm recording, and it's fairly late, and um, I'm still trying to render out a couple of my prior episodes to get up on YouTube. Uh, next week, uh, hopefully, will be the first week that uh, YouTube has uh, the current episode up. So if you're listening to me there or if you've subscribed there, uh, go ahead and uh, you know, just be aware that you can listen there uh, for all new episodes as well. Uh, and if you're not listening to me there, if you're you know, joining me on any of the other platforms... Uh, please uh, drop a like or download or, or follow or however however the system does that. Um, I bet I do want to thank everyone for continuing to listen in. Uh, it shows, you know, it's seeing some growth still, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how much it can grow for the remainder of this year. But let's get to the meat of this episode now. Um, so to start with, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the, the plateau itself. Uh, now, it was formed when the Indian subcontinent, or the Indian plate, slammed into the Eurasian plate. And by plate, I mean tectonic plates. Now, due to a number of environmental factors, including elevation, uh, where the sun hits and when, and a whole bunch of other factors, um, glaciers from the various... You know, glacial periods have remained in the area longer than other areas at higher latitudes. Um, these glaciers help feed all the water systems flowing south and east. Um, so the region was probably populated around the same time as South Asia uh, throughout you know, the various hominid migrations uh, out of Africa, provided it wasn't completely covered in ice at the time they were traveling through the region. Uh, and if it was, they moved in you know, after the ice retreated. Uh, though obviously due to temperatures, environment, elevation, etc., it was never as vastly populated as the regions uh, to the south or east. Uh, in fact, due to the rapid temperature drop and advancement of glaciers uh, during the Younger Dryas, there is evidence that the population of these uh, Paleolithic uh, Tibetans suffered greatly. Um, I mentioned in our Central Asian episode that some of the remains dated to um, the, the Younger Dryas period, or you know, right before it, uh, possibly right at the beginning, um, that these uh, remains are 
closely related to remains found in Tibet in the same period, or from our period and to later. Uh, though they were cousins of the Tibetan population uh, and not ancestors or you know descendants. Uh, so I can imagine a case uh, where uh, these two kind of related groups traveling back and forth between um, the two regions by going through mountain passes in the border of modern-day Tibet, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Uh, and and Taj Tajikistan, too, I believe, is also uh, accessible uh, both ways. You can get to or from uh, the Tibetan Plateau from Tajikistan as well. Now, the Younger Dryas hits and glaciers expand and they get cut off from each other and they made the environment even harsher to live in. And, um, excuse me, from what I can tell um, from DNA analysis and, and things like that, they never traveled back into Southeast Asia. The, the remaining Tibetans, once the ice did melt, they never, you know, moved back in or attempted to, at least from what we can see in the archaeological record. So uh, they just kind of remained in that border region. Now, uh, of course, the Younger Dryas ended about 1,700 years prior to the start of our current timeline, and these ancient Tibetans were probably seeing their numbers uh, rebound slightly as the land became more viable and fertile. Uh, now, this is still a very limited area that these Tibetans are living in. Uh, most prehistoric sites related to Homo sapiens are located in the south and east of the plateau where um, rivers and lakes and ponds exist. Um, the rivers and the valleys and the courses that they follow would lead them to more numerous people uh, to the south and to the east. Um, now the sites uh, existed near modern settlements, and it wouldn't surprise me if more of a few of them were actually buried beneath those modern settlements. Now, in terms of tools, um, again, you see the standard progression from uh, Paleolithic to um, the Neolithic uh, and all the in-between parts. Um, you know, they begin to use smaller, more specialized uh, stones and polished stone to make more sophisticated tools. Um, you kind of see that progression. Uh, they are nomadic, and they remain nomadic uh, even until historical times. I think there's still a sizable portion of their population uh, that are nomads. Um, now, that is something I believe China has been trying to crack down on. Um, but uh, the yak is very important to their lifestyle, historically speaking. Uh, that's uh, related to, of course, uh, the cows of Asia and Europe. Um, the yak, uh, they're all in the same genus, uh, boss. Um, but the yak was like the primary, I guess, um, source of protein and milk uh, for you know, uh, the Tibetan people historically. Um, and I'm, I will get into that eventually. I could not get a firm date on when the yak was domesticated. It's later than the cow. Um, but I'm not sure if it will be in this domestication episode or 
the one after our, our next one coming up. Um, but yeah, so uh, yaks are of vital importance, uh, and I believe they were domesticated even before the horse arrived in the area. Uh, so, um, now the people living there, again, their population uh, was low, probably due to the younger Dryas and being cut off from, um, you know, relatives to the <clears throat> west. But they are not completely isolated. They do interact with people to uh, the south and people to the uh, east. Um, and, of course, what is now uh, to the south, you have, of course, modern-day Pakistan, India, Bhutan, Nepal. Uh, and in the east, you have modern-day uh, China. Uh, but they also have probably interactions uh, later at later periods with people in the uh, Central Asia. Uh, but again, that happens much later. Um, and today, uh, the modern uh, country of Tibet has a number of different ethnic groups. Um, you have the Tibetan people proper, uh, which in in Tibet itself, there's around, I think it's around 6 million people. And they do have some... Uh, in India and Nepal as well. And that's not even uh, going into, you know, uh, communities that immigrated after uh, the Chinese invasion in, uh, I believe it was the 60s. Um, but there are other ethnic groups, uh, people like uh, the Chang, uh, the Tamang, and um, the Manpa people. Uh all of these people, to some extent or another, though, are related to these Paleolithic and Neolithic Tibetans. Um, it's just a question of how much they're related or how much interaction they've had with um, different ethnic groups in either India or uh, Bhutan or China or Nepal. Um there will be an influx of migrants from what is modern-day China in the future. Uh, like in the, I think, uh, our our current episode ends at 6,000 BC. I think um, there's probably an influx, I believe, starting around, I want to say it's around 3,000 BC. It might be a little earlier, might be a little bit later. It's a bit of a debate. But <clears throat> you can see that there are, you know, Interactions, at least in terms of material culture, between a few of the different Chinese uh, civilizations or tool cultures uh, and the Tibetan people. Um, they probably get rice from these um, from these Chinese people, and it's possible that they could the Tibetans could have been the ones to introduce rice to their south. Uh, that is one vector. Uh, of how India could have gotten rice. Uh, and it's also possible that they received barley from the uh, Indians or uh, uh, the people living in now India and Pakistan. Um, and then they possibly transferred it to the Chinese that way. Um, and of course, being in the mountains in the Himalayas, uh, Tibet has access to a lot of different type of stone uh, that would be very useful for making tools and the like. So, uh, it's very rough. It's very dangerous country. 
uh, there are just a few set paths and they're not always a hundred percent you know safe to travel even today um, but you know it's not heavily populated you know if you if you get in good with the Tibetans they can you know definitely provide you with protection uh, through the region or you know at least take your goods from you and then take it to the other side of their territory and uh, you know kind of play as middlemen um, but uh, that is all stuff that's going to be happening much much later or at least a couple of thousand years after our current time frame um, now um, I know that's not a lot to go on much like the the people in the east of South Asia um, unfortunately that's kind of what we have uh, China isn't too keen on uh, letting you know foreigners into Tibet specifically um, and there's not a whole lot that they uh, they probably don't want too much Tibetan interest in their history or you know that kind of thing they want to bring them make sure they're firmly enmeshed in the Chinese sphere uh, and historically you know there is some Again, there is some evidence of, you know, interaction and trade and, you know, them interacting with groups in China, uh, both historically and prehistorically. But they've had just as much interaction, if not more, with the peoples of South Asia. So uh, that's just one of those things that, you know, the modern world is affecting um, kind of our understanding of the past rather than vice versa. Um, and that's the stuff obviously we will talk about later. Um, let's get into some etymological stuff for, uh, for the region. Um, uh, Tibet itself, uh, how did that, you know, what does that mean? Where does that come from? Well, there's actually a little bit of a debate about that, um, at least in English, uh, there is a thought that Tibet came uh, into English through actually Turkish um, or possibly an Iranian or Persian language. Uh, Sogdian has been uh, proposed as well. Uh, essentially, it would come from something along the Turkic word uh, Tobad, which is like, uh, or Tobat, which is uh, the heights. Um and yeah, so that get trans, you know, transliterated into English. Um, it, it's thought that that possibly uh, the the Turkish also could have come from uh, a Chinese variant or Chinese characters uh, written for uh, Tufan or Tubo, uh, which is like an old Chinese um, pronunciation. Um, it could also be Topun, which is also the heights. So it could be like a direct Turkish, Turkish translation of the Chinese word. Uh, as for the Tibetans themselves, uh, they they uh, do not call uh, Tibet Tibet. Uh, I believe, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation. It's closer to um, uh, Bo or Fo. At least that's how it's written. It may also be pronounced closer to uh, bod. Uh, it's it's a little different to 
difficult to kind of get into uh, because there are, I think, three primary um, Tibetan um, dialects. Um, You know, being in a very mountainous uh, region, they're kind of isolated from each other. Uh, They they obviously have deep bonds uh, between each other, and they have they share a written uh, language. Uh, but the pronunciation, I think, can be very different. But there's um, there's Lhasa Tibet, there is uh, Amdo, and Kams Tibetan. All right, those are the three. I think they're the three most spoken dialects. Uh, and modern Tibet is part of the tibeto burma uh, branch of uh, the Sino uh, Sinic language family. Um, so yeah, so there's. Um, it's kind of hard to get a solid, a solid like English pronunciation for the Tibetan language because there are three different dialects, and I know there's like a standard or there's like a standard version of Tibetan too, but I don't think it's like widely spoken. And the way the Tibetan language is written, there's actually two different. Uh, versions of how the, you can pronounce that. I think one's called Wee Lee, uh, and I forget what the other one's called, but um, it, it makes it difficult for uh, uh, someone who is not a linguist uh, or, you know, much less specializing in, uh, you know, East Asian languages to kind of get a solid, um, a solid uh, <laughs> a pronunciation guide. Um. It, oh, it's the simplified uh, phonetic. Uh, it's like THL, I think, is the um, the other kind of uh, written guide for Tibetan. Um, and yeah, that's that's another thing. Uh, the historical like Tibetan plateau region. Uh, it's not always been a one unified country. Uh, you know, Tibet itself is. Um, I think like a unified kingdom. I think it only goes back to like the, I think it's like the 1600s AD. Uh, prior to that, there were, uh, three or four polities. Sometimes they're smaller ones. Um, also made up of, uh, I think Kam was one of those. Amdo was another, um, U or U is another, uh, Sang is, is another, uh, sometimes they were united. Sometimes they were divided. Um, that's yeah. That's just kind of um, something that again we'll have to kind of go into. Um, but yeah, so you know, um, that's kind of what we know uh, of the Tibetan. Uh, again, the Paleolithic Tibetans are the early Neolithic Tibetan people. Um, they are fairly. Uh, you know, they're a fairly small group due to probable like environmental uh, impacts from the Younger Dryas that, again, they're going away at this point in time in our timeline, uh, but it is still something that they haven't fully recovered from. And they'll soon be interacting more and more with their neighbors. Uh, and that will, you know, and that's not just trade-wise. Uh, we have genetic evidence that they are going to get an influx of people from their neighboring regions, and that's going to help uh, make up another... Um, I guess a division of these um, these Paleolithic Tibetans, they'll all contribute to the various modern-day ethnic groups in the region, though some 
uh, will be more related to them than others. Um, but that's all stuff for future episodes to kind of dive into. Um, trying to think if there's anything else I want to go over for this region. Um, it is very interesting. It's something that um, I'm looking forward to talking about more because it's something I've been reading a lot about recently. Um, I've been listening to a book on tape about the um, the Silk Road. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's really kind of uh, gotten into my head the last couple of days. So, um, oh, uh, you know, I don't know that I've ever go over, gone over the etymology of Himalayas. Um, it is also, uh, from Sanskrit, uh, Hema, which is like frost and, um, Alaya, which is like a house. So it's like the house of snow or the, the home of snow. Uh, it, they're also, I believe personified in a couple of different, um, uh, Hindu or Hindu myths, um, and it's uh, yeah, uh, you know they're uh, the, I think the Himalayas like the personification of the Himalayas is like the father of uh, Sarasvati and um, uh, uh, Padma, who is like the the um, the personification of. Um, Oh, I forget the river. <laughs> Sorry, I'm drawing a blank. I just talked about it last week. Um, in the east, uh, the Ganges. Uh, the Ganges is another, uh, Padma is another name for the Ganges uh, in Hindu mythology. So, um, yeah, the Himalayas is kind of like, or the personification of the Himalayas is the father of those rivers as well as others. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of uh, kind of how that uh, is, you know, uh, plays into each other and that's a good way to tie them uh into uh south asia like culturally um obviously you know being the home of your three of your most important goddesses you know uh it 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 draws a lot of attention to the himalayas and people living in the region um oh uh, birds are also very important in uh himalaya like mythology and like culture uh eagles vultures those type of deals um and i'm sure that they were very important in the um in the neolithic times as well like uh religiously or um spiritually speaking uh you know some of the only um you know animals that are native to the region you know again it's not very diverse like in terms of uh, biological or um or plant life so um I imagine that birds are, you know, very, uh, sacred for a reason. They were probably very impressive. Um, and that's all stuff we'll get into when we start talking about, uh, Tibetan religion. Um, but yeah, it, there's sadly, there's not a whole lot to go on again. It's a lot of guesswork for this type of stuff. So, uh, that's a little unfortunate, but, uh, I do look forward to coming back here in the future. Uh, next week, though, we will be diving into um, Southeast Asia, uh, Bhutan, Myan- or not Bhutan, excuse me, uh, Burma slash Myanmar, um, uh, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, those type of countries, Vietnam, of course. Um, that'll probably take two or three episodes, uh, you know, given my ability to ramble about stuff, so... Um, yeah, I hope you look forward to that. Uh, should be a little bit longer next week. 
uh, and then we will cover um, we'll cover East Asia after that, I believe. And then once we cover uh, the rest of Asia, um, we'll jump down south to Australia and um, uh, those places. And then we'll do Europe. And then from there, we'll move over to the Americas. So um, there are some there are some things that we can discuss pretty substantially about all of these places. So um, at least a couple of more months for season three. And then we'll do our next time jump. Um, of course, I do want to do those specials on domestication for plants and animals, as well as talking about uh, the process of urbanization that's going to slowly start kicking up as well. Uh, but yeah, I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, I'm sorry, again, this was a shorter episode and I didn't really have too much uh, you know, factual things to talk about. Uh, but uh, I hope you join us next week. And uh, if you have any questions or feedback, uh, please feel free to reach out to me at war at revpod at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message on Twitter uh, or you can comment uh, on any of the videos I have up on YouTube. Um, just whichever is convenient for you uh, and I do hope to hear from you. I'm always welcoming feedback. But yeah, I hope you all have a great rest of your day, week, weekend, whatever it may be for you. Uh, but yeah, Take it easy and have a good day. Goodbye.